Well, welcome everybody. Glad to have you here. Signed on to to uh, uh, Bible Quest, and I think that we are getting it running and recorded. My name is Dan, and our wonderful web host Jonathan Sadler is not here today. Uh, today, though, we're going to go back to once a month or so. We try to read through and talk about uh, the Gospel of Mark so that we can have some regular Bible study along with talking about different questions. If you have a question about Mark, but absolutely uh, chime in and let us know. But if you just have a general Bible question and you want to send that our way, we might find a way of, of sidestepping and talking about that for you as well. So, Justin, where are we right now in the Gospel of Mark? What are we going to do? Yeah, well, we're picking up in the middle of uh, a section in Matthew, not Matthew, in Mark 5, verse 21. Uh, last time we saw Jesus, he had been in the country of the Gerasenes, where he'd met a man coming out of the tombs. Uh, he'd been afflicted by a legion of demons uh, living among the dead. He'd been beaten up and bruised. The only way that people knew how to help him was to restrain him, but they couldn't. But Jesus comes and helps him. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty dramatic scene with the pigs running down into uh, the sea there. Uh, everyone's running away. They're afraid of Jesus, and they actually ask him to leave. One of the things we learn about Jesus is that if you ask him to leave you alone, he will. Uh, and, and he leaves the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, the guy who had been afflicted by the demons asked to go with Jesus. And the startling thing is Jesus uh, actually tells him no mm -hmm. and tells him to go and tell everybody all that God had done for him. So he goes everywhere telling everybody all that Jesus had done for him. Uh, one of the themes that we've seen, I think, in Mark at this point in chapter 4 the disciples are afraid of the storm, and then later they're afraid of Jesus because, uh, or have great fear in Mark 4, 41, uh, because he's able to still the storm. The people are afraid of Jesus when he casts out the demons, and we're going to see more fear at work in chapter 5. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's, I think, where we're ready to start this next section, Mark 5, verse 21. You good with that? Yeah, no, I think that's good. And just one thought that popped into my head, uh, the, the, the individual who wants to follow along with Jesus, uh, they, they have a really interesting relationship there. Jesus, um, he calmed the storm, he helped calm this man's demons, right? Cast the mm. demon out, calmed him down. And so they're connected now. And rather than bringing him along, Jesus sends him to work. But, but there's a connection there. We don't see Jesus rejecting the man. Uh, we're going to see Jesus interacting with some more people uh, in in the, the miracles that we're going to read about, and just in a very similar way. It's not necessarily the way you would expect or um, going to go in the directions that, that, that we expect, but Jesus continues to connect with people in different ways, and I think that that's a valuable idea. So I'll go ahead and start us off uh, reading these verses, Justin. I'll read um, starting in chapter 5, I'll read verses 21 through 34, so we get the frame of the miracle and then uh, the heart of one of the miracles here. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
When she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's a lot going on in this story. And, and if you just stop here, you think, wait, what happened, what happened to Jairus? Uh, and every Matthew Mark and Luke all tell this story and they do it in the same way um, which I think two things one it it probably happened this way Uh, but secondly I I think there's a point being made with the connection of these two events Um, you know Jairus is desperate for Jesus's help uh, and I think we can see why uh, that's so apparent in just a second and this woman is really desperate for Jesus's help uh, but Jairus, he's a ruler of a synagogue. Uh, in Mark, um, he stands a lot to lose by going to Jesus, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Earlier in chapter 2, in verse 23, already you're starting to see some of the leaders of the Jews kind of run into some opposition with Jesus. Uh, they think that Jesus and his disciples are breaking the Sabbath. They're certainly breaking their traditions. As early as for 3, verse 6, uh, you've got uh religious rivals the pharisees and the herodians who are now joined together so they can destroy jesus and then uh here in 322 uh they're already starting to claim that jesus is in league with the devil so um jairus is kind of in this social political situation where to go to jesus is it's almost like occupational suicide mm-hmm. uh, but you know why, why is he so desperate to go to jesus well, it's because of the need with his daughter. She's at the point of death. And and Jesus, and this is the reality in all of our situations. Jesus is the only one that can save. Mm-hmm. It's when we're in trouble that we tend to look to the Lord. Um, the, the prodigal son, you know, he's living foolishly until everything goes bad and nobody gives him anything. That's when he comes to himself. In Romans 8, 20, says that God subjected this world to futility, to vanity, uh, sickness, death, all the curses and everything, in hope that the creation would be freed from the bondage of corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when everything's going our way, we tend to not be as humble as we are. So thank God then for, um, for pressures that push us in his direction. Uh, we, we don't want the tragedies of life, but, but if it's the near death of his daughter, and then we'll see by the end of the story, the actual death of his mm-hmm. daughter that drives him to Jesus, hopefully Jairus will be a different person because he knows something of Jesus's power. Now, interestingly, Jesus goes with Jesus. We, we might not expect anything different, but also think about all that he's suffered at the hands of these Pharisees and scribes and leaders. They mm-hmm. don't like Jesus. They've been claiming some pretty nasty things about him. Uh, but verse 24, just really short, 
and he went with him. So he's going with Jairus. Um, uh, Jairus in verse 22, he falls at Jesus's feet. There's this really interesting power play. Jesus is very humble to go with him, but the man, of course, is just humble too because he needs Jesus's help. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Interrupt the story, and there's this lady. <laughs> and, and I can kind of see like cinematically in my mind what this would have looked like. Um, there's a crowd thronging around Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus, somebody touched me. And you know, his disciples are looking at him like, of course somebody touched you. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? Everybody's touching you. <laughs> um, but he says, no, like, I, some, someone touched me. And he looks around to see this woman. And she comes trembling in fear. So that again, you have this fear about her and falls down and explains the whole truth. Now, her situation was that she had been um, suffering with this discharge of blood for 12 years. What, what, what all goes with that idea? Like in this culture, in this time period, this sickness that she has, what, what's she experiencing? Well, we, these are diseases that people are suffering, going to suffer today, but in one sense, they're going to suffer it much more uncomfortably because of um, the, we have so many more uh, opportunities for physical comfort and things that are going to alleviate pains and, and things that will help us with our bleeding and our and anemia and the vitamins that can that can help feed back in that so number one she's going to be physically hurting just that much more than any of us would comprehend and then secondly this is connected to uh, the uncleanliness laws uh, that that we find in the old testament that uh, not only is she suffering but now she's also unclean which is not the same as being sinful or being ugly but um, you know, it, it's this, it's this presence that she couldn't ever leave. She couldn't ever leave that state status of being unclean. Scott, the uncleanness laws. You know, there were periodic times when people were unclean uh, or excluded from this that. But there's a continual uncleanness. Yeah. And then the the sad statement. You know, she'd spent everything on doctors. There was nothing better. Yeah. Yeah. She actually grew worse. Yeah. <laughs> with the doctors they, they whether that was just the course of time or the things that they did to try to help her made it made it worse and it reminds me a lot of the man that we looked at earlier chapter five remember the the people round about the fella who lived in the tombs the only way they knew how to help the fella uh quote unquote was to chain him up uh and of course that just makes his situation worse i, I think there's an important note to make here uh, just like Jairus knows the only help that, that he can get, the only person who can really help his situation is Jesus, to go to anyone else for the kind of help that Jesus gives is, is not to get any help at all, it's to get hurt. Uh, mm -hmm. There are a lot of other ways out there of receiving salvation. You know, people, people will offer all kinds of like self-help and worldly wisdom and guidance, and some of it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but even if we're successful in those things, uh, if we're successful in a worldly way, and we're not any closer to Jesus, it's just pulled us further and further away from the Lord who made us and wants to use us. So mm -hmm. be cautious about things that, well, this helped me, might help you. If it's not truth, if it's not Jesus, it's just going to make matters worse. So the man in the tombs was made worse. Uh, this woman has been made worse by the help that she received. Obviously, if you're sick, Go see, go see a doctor uh but in this situation you see that she's she's in a, 
a bad way and she's needing help being spiritually unclean and again not sinful like like dan said but being unclean what would happen if she touched someone she will spiritually you know connected to connectedly pass that uncleanness on yeah it, it never works the other way right right uh, uncleanness travels but here jesus is touched by her and his cleanness is transferred um he's he's kind of a unique um lightning rod if you will he's, he's a, a power source of cleanness and he's able to spread that uh and so he heals this woman mm-hmm. now I, I got a question here um this woman comes up she touches the hem of his garment i don't know if that's just humility faith all of that working together but why do you suppose that jesus says all right stop everything somebody touched me and it puts this woman on the spot kind of in a an embarrassing way maybe mm-hmm. uh, it calls her out in front of this huge crowd why, why do you think he does that in front of everybody like this i think that this is fun to talk about i mean all all we have is conjecture because we can come up with lots of different kinds of reasons um and so we can try to learn from those reasons but he he's in in some ways he's almost treating her like he does with his apostles uh, sometimes when he's talking to his apostles, he's really compassionate and really helpful, but he's still stomping on their toes to get them to speak up or to think about what they just said or to, uh, uh, he, it's almost like he says, you just said something. Now think about that and tell me why you said it and, and uh, the, the way that he's really calling them on those moments. She had a tremendous amount of faith. I don't know of moments in I can't think of any miracles where someone only had to touch Jesus's clothes. So where'd she come up with that idea? And that that's this faith in him that's maybe bigger than some of the stories have been. So she clearly has faith and maybe for her benefit and or the benefit of everyone around her, he gets her to speak up about that. Um, He calls her on that so that she can double down on her faith and stand up for being the faithful person that she is, but also to teach everyone around her uh, through her faith. I don't know who gets the bigger, the bigger benefit or who the purpose was, but I can see it in, in those two ways at least. Scott? The, the idea of wanting Jesus's blessings, but not standing up for it. Joseph of Arimathea had secretly been a disciple. Nicodemus had gone by night and then He's in the crowd where they're saying to the guards, none of us believe. And Nicodemus is there like, well, you know, he, he tries to say something neutral sounding and they spin on, but he clearly hadn't been, you know, really up front. Uh, Jesus said, if you confess me before me, I'll confess you before my father. And this reminds me a little bit of the ever head bowed, every eye closed altar calls. You know, and if you've ever seen those, I, I've seen them in person. I've seen them online. They do them with Joel Olstein churches and a lot of churches. Um, it was a subject of a lot of friction at a Southern Baptist conference a few years ago because there's this, this, this habit of everybody, don't anybody look. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you say this prayer, you know, you're going to be saved. And they'll often say, nobody will see you. Nobody will know. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody will know. And then I see that hand, I see that hand, and then you can open your eyes. Um, that's just, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you uh, later in the gospel of Mark. And so this woman has faith, but now she has to speak up. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have in my margin written Psalm 32, 1 and 5. Um, and Psalm 32, whatever the situation was going on in David's life, it, it reminds me of Psalm 51, the sin with Bathsheba. But he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is, is covered. And then in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It was important this woman uh, come clean about what she had done. Uh, she had touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Uh, not that that itself was wrong, uh, but she is proclaiming loudly and freely that she had been healed by Jesus. Uh, and I, I don't know. Thinking about this story, as well as what we'd already read previously in Mark 5, remember Jesus tells the man who'd been pressed by the demons to go and tell others what the Lord had done for him. Uh, I, I think it's important that we talk to people about what Jesus has done for us. There's, there's not a, as great of a need to cover up. Sometimes we, well, if I share too much, then well, the, the, this woman needs to share that Jesus had healed her. Uh, and she needs to see that in her own life. Uh, she needs to not feel like, well, maybe I did something wrong. Later, she's going to feel like, uh, did, it, did I break the rules by touching the hem of his garment? Maybe it was an accident kind of thing. He tells her to go in peace because her faith healed her. So he's, he's affirming her, uh, and she is confessing before this crowd. It's an important moment for her. Dan? Yeah, just a couple thoughts. First, Matthew made some comments on the Facebook account, and I think these are uh, good to bring up. Why does he call her out? Uh, one, to show that the power and the healing isn't from the clothes. Uh, you know, he's not wearing a magic cloak, and if somebody borrows it, then they can do the miracles. This is, this is Jesus, and no one is healed by accident. Jesus knew, uh, knew about that, and I, I think that those are, those are big um, those are important ideas to consider, but really it's because both of those are, are returning back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the power, or Jesus is the one who has the authority and the control. He knows what's going on. Um, he asks, who touched me? How many times did Jesus ask a question and he already knows the answer? He's asking the question to get people, people active. So I don't think that Jesus was clueless or blind. He, he knew what was going on and he was using it. And I think one important idea here, it, it's uh, is to remember that I think Jesus in a lot of ways is he's welcoming her into this. Um, he's call, I, I stress the point that he's calling her out on that so that she will stand up for her faith. And I, and I, I think that that's still true, but I want to be careful that, that um, he's not calling her out as in who did this uh, confess now so that I can make a tally of who's gotten them gotten a miracle for me. I don't want to do too many miracles for so many people. It's not any idea like that. This is a sick woman who's unclean and has no part in society in that day, okay? Uh, She is an outsider in that society, and Jesus is welcoming her to be someone that um, he wants all of the men who are following him to listen to. He's going to go to the leader of the synagogue, but first he is inviting an unclean, or a lady who has been unclean for a dozen years and sick and an outsider and lowly. He's inviting her to be someone for people to look to, to be interested in, um, to listen to her faith um, that's going to be just as important a faith as uh, the leader of the synagogue. And so I think that that's a neat neat idea that here is someone lowly and an outsider. Um, He isn't only telling her uh, who did this thing, but he is including her 
in his circle by inviting her to speak as well. Scott? Yeah, and there, there's so many underdogs in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're all coming from a desperate point. Uh, I'm going to make two observations. One is almost straight up nitpicking. And the other one, it's, I think, a real intriguing question. Um, but I, I'll explain why on the nitpicking thing. On the, was it Jesus is cleansing the woman by cleansing coming? Jesus is cleansing going to her. Um, there, there's a passage back in Haggai, if you remember, where it talks about if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches something, uh, you know, uh, does, does the holy thing by touching it make the other thing holy? No. No. But does the unclean thing, you know, so uncleanness kind of transfers, which is why, you know, if there's an ink pen that's lost its integrity and there's this ink going everywhere and I stick it in my pocket, we know what's going to happen to my shirt, but I can't touch my clean shirt to the ink pen. And now suddenly the pen's not a mess. Um, and this is kind of an important point because there's a Calvinistic concept that thinks that the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to people. And Jesus cleanses us, but the way he cleanses us is by removing our uncleanness. Uh, so in Revelation 7, you know, who are these dressed in white? They're washed in the blood of the lamb. And so here's a guy with an unclean spirit. Uh, it's not that Jesus just puts the Holy Spirit in them. It's that Jesus removes mm -hmm. that unclean spirit. And Jesus removes this problem from them. Uh, the other thing is this. When Jesus says, who touched me? This is Jesus that said to the woman at the well, go get your husband. <laughs> and she says, I don't have one. He says, that's right. The one you've got now isn't yours. You had five men, but the one you, the main you have now isn't yours. This is Jesus who says to Simon, answer Simon when Simon summoned the Pharisee thinking in his head. But the text does say this. Jesus perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him. Jesus can ask things he knows the answer to, but the text here and in Matthew make it, and I think I'll probably also in Luke, make it clear Jesus noticed he perceived power had gone out from him. What might be significant about that? My, my mind goes to uh... I'm not sure if this is where you're headed, but you know Matthew six talks about uh, the father caring for you know little sparrows. You know, he he notices uh, it's not just that God just broadly cares for his creation. Uh, he is intentional and specific in caring for each individual. And so Jesus isn't just broadly doing miracles and they're you know happening upon people and isn't that wonderful and he doesn't actually notice who he's caring for, but he 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 is specific in his application of his compassion and his power he is but like if you've got a power and you do something you don't it's not just that you notice it you directed it you intended it mm -hmm. jesus 
perceived the power comes down. Well, I, maybe this is what you're getting at. Let's all pretend I can hit a baseball really well. I know that's a lot going to take a lot of imagination for you. But if I can hit a baseball really well, and I'm looking at a baseball and it's coming and I swing my arms and I hit the baseball, then I hit it really well. If And I do that, you know, six days a week. That's great. And then on Saturday, if I notice that my arms are swinging through the air, and then I notice that my arms are swinging this bat and it hits a baseball and it goes really, really far. That's a big difference between I swang my arms between I noticed my arms. It's almost like my arms have started moving uh, before I was telling them to. Is that, is that the idea you're getting at? Well, I, I tell you what I'm thinking this may have to do with, and that's throughout the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus, no deity, and I think he would have had the power to simply do miracles on his own. Otherwise, there would have been no temptation when the devil said, turn stones into bread, if he couldn't have done it. But I think it's pretty clear in scripture that Jesus was relying upon the Father for his message and mission, and he was relying on the Spirit for miracles. So in Matthew 12, when they said, ah, it's by the, you know, Beelzebub, Jesus says, no, it wasn't by the power of Beelzebub, it was by the Spirit that I did that. And Peter in Acts chapter 10 will say that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and went about doing good. So it's not that I think Jesus couldn't have done things by his own power, but in the Gospel of John, where he repeatedly says, you know, he does nothing by himself, et cetera, um, he came not to show us how to go out on earth. Jesus came to show us how to be men in submission to God. And Peter's going to be able to do miracles by the Holy Spirit. Paul's going to be able to do miracles by the Holy Spirit. Peter and Paul are going to be able to speak by inspiration. And Jesus took the form of a man and demonstrates submission. And so I think those passages together I did that miracle by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you know, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and went about doing these things. In John 5, he talks about the works given to him by the Father. And here, he perceives that the power had gone forth and then calls on this woman to speak up. So I, I'm inclined to think this relates to the fact that Jesus, like the other early disciples, we're relying on God and he's setting that example himself and showing us how to be dependent. Justin. I think that is a, a powerful point. Uh, even just, okay. So how does that apply in our lives thinking, okay, well, Jesus, you're saying that he didn't use his own power. He relied on God. He relied on the spirit that he'd been anointed with who he'd been anointed with. Um, all right. So what does that have to do with my life? You take it all the way back to, to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And what, what Eve is doing, what Adam and Eve are doing when they're eating the fruit is they're looking to live in this world and to rule over creation independent from God. And what God is doing through Jesus and what Jesus is doing then depending on God is showing how to be a real human. He's, he's reflecting God's image by depending on God for all the work that he does. And that's, I think, a great example, the example we need to follow is whatever we're doing, we need to be depending on the power of God. So appreciate you pointing that out. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we probably should finish up the story. I mean, Jairus is right, waiting, right? He's still <laughs> he waiting is, on uh, it. <laughs> Jairus is uh, He's watching his watch. Hey, come on, guys. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I mean, I just imagine what he is doing. He's like, all right, this is great, Jesus. This is so compassionate. Meanwhile, my daughter, um, and the point that was made earlier, so helpful. Uh, of course, you know, we would all treat this person as so important. You know, the, the mayor of the town has come to ask us for a favor. And, you know, our child is, you know, tugging on our coat saying, dad, can you help me unscrew this, this cap lid or whatever? And we're like, no, no, I got to go help the mayor. And Jesus pauses, helps the, the little person. Uh, uh-huh. he, he treats them as important. But continuing to Mark 5 and verse uh, 35, we'll read uh, 35 through 43. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion, weeping? Child's not dead, sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, again walking, she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Very practical here, you know, make sure she has something to eat and you're all spellbound by the fact that she's now living she needs mm-hmm. something to eat here very very practical um there's some connections between this story and the last story that i don't know what to make of this little girl she's 12 years old uh the woman who had had the, the discharge of blood she had that for 12 years I'm not sure what to make of that um but the news has come to jairus that you know look this this miracle worker is not going to be of any further use to you because your daughter's dead so they see a limit to Jesus's ability to help. Jesus doesn't see that same limit. And so he goes and he's going to help. He says, don't fear, only believe. Um, what do you make of Jesus saying, the child's not dead, but sleeping? All the crowd saying she's dead. Jesus says, no, she's just sleeping. What, what's going on there? Well, one thing it's important to, re- to realize is God isn't dumb. Jesus isn't dumb or mistaken, and he can fix it because he can miraculously make it, you know, the 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 right thing. He isn't just, oops, I thought she was actually asleep, but and then he brings her back from the dead. Um, I think he's just there's there's a couple ways. Number one, he can be speaking the way so many of us do, uh, using hyperbole or using figures of speech and redirecting and getting people in, in on the, through the right board. But then the other, the other, sometimes we talk about death being sleep. They've fallen asleep or uh, we, we talk like that. I don't think anyone would say that the way what Jesus said, because we can't do anything about it. We can't make those figures of speech become truth and become reality. And maybe that's just what Jesus does here. He's using a figure of speech. He's calming the people down. And he has the power to make that figure of speech real. And that's what I, that's what I see that he's doing here. It's almost like he's speaking poetically and brings the poetry to life. 
Yeah, like that. He has the power to make the figure of speech real. Uh, she's not actually sleeping. She actually is dead. But for Jesus to raise her up would be just as easy as it is for you or me to wake somebody up from a nap. Mm -hmm. And for, for Jesus, and from his point of view, it's how clear that death is really just, in a way, like sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, so Lazarus, John 11, mm -hmm. our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Mm -hmm. That's God. Mm -hmm. He's going to wake up. So he says, plainly, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, uh, kind of a poetic. And, and, of course, this will be continued by Paul, uh, th those who sleep in Jesus. One thing that I think is really compelling about this is these are the absolute worst words that we can say to our good friends when they lo lose a loved one. Oh, don't worry. They're only going to be dead for a while and then they're going to raise up. It, when someone's grieving, um, even if you believe in the resurrection, when someone's grieving, those words don't always comfort. And, and we need to let people be sad when they have a reason to be sad, right? But Jesus comes in and says those words and then makes that problem right. And that is really, to me, maybe the idea that ties in the last, this as the fourth, the, all, all these miracles, these four miracles between calming down the storms on the outside, calming down the storms inside the one man, calming down the disease that the woman can't control, and then bringing back the girl that died because... Uh, the, the, her sickness overcame her. And Jesus is just able to calm all those things down, get them all under his control. His, his reach goes so far that he can lightheartedly talk about death. Oh, it's just sleep. And get them all under his control. His, his reach goes so far that he can lightheartedly talk about death. Oh, it's just sleep. And get them all under his control. I don't know what's talking about. He goes about. so far that he can lightheartedly talk about death. Oh, it's just sleep. And get them all under his control. I don't know what's talking about. He goes about. so far that he can lightheartedly talk. Are we safe to talk now? Let's try that again. It was repeating uh, what I was saying. I was, I was checking Facebook for questions. And <laughs> the there we go. Over. That works. It was worth repeating what you said. It happens. It happens. Uh, anyways, I just I like that that Jesus. If 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 I said something like this today, it would be the meanest thing. But Jesus can say that, speak lightheartedly about death, and make death lighthearted and, and easy and bring the girl back and, and give her to the family yeah like in the storm jesus says why are you afraid it's like well because we nearly died yeah. uh, <laughs> but but because jesus is there it changes the entire equation of reality mm -hmm. um here's this man with the demons uh rushing out of the tombs and we should really probably all run away jesus but jesus stands there and heals the man uh, I mean, all of this, like you, you're, you're absolutely right, Dan. Uh, some of this is so counterintuitive. Um, it's, it's idealistic, mm -hmm. but because Jesus said it, he makes it reality. It, it kind of goes back to the man with the withered hand back in chapter three, stretch out your hand. Well, that's a really cruel thing to tell somebody who's got a withered hand, yeah. but because Jesus told him to do it, you know, he makes possible that which he commands. And so here Jesus says, 
look, you know, why are you, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Because you're, because the daughter's dead, man. Like, what else would you expect? Mm-hmm. But Jesus' presence changes all of that. Yeah. Uh, things that would make sense, a logical response, a reasonable response to suffering in life, mm-hmm. suddenly isn't the best response uh, when Jesus is there. You know, the best response is trusting Jesus, following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe maybe the thing to learn here is what Jesus says in verse 36 is don't fear, only believe. Belief is to act like the thing that you believe is really true. You know, if you're going to act like the thing that you, you're believing is, is actually really true. Um, even if you don't know it, you believe it and you're going to act mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a little bit of time here. We want to get into six one through six, and we'll call it a day from there. I think that that would be a good close to these miracles. The discussion there, I think, will help. All right, I can read that. He he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, "Where did this man get these things? What what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands?" Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So Jesus has come home. Uh, I think this is Nazareth here. This is where he had been raised. Um, he's an adopted son of Joseph and then Mary. Uh, his brothers and sisters are there. It's kind of an interesting note. Jesus, Jesus is the big brother in the family. Kind of a, a dynamic that I may not often think of. Um, Jesus knows what it's like to have siblings and to work with them. But but he's got a, a town here who knows what eight-year-old Jesus was like, who knows what 14-year-old Jesus was like, who saw the, the, the young fella going around town with all the other young fellas, and now here he comes in, and he's the great teacher, and he's the great miracle worker. Just who does he think he is? You know, we remember when you had chicken pox, like everybody else did, uh, what makes you so special? And they reject him because, well, he's just one of us. Um, I don't know. Thoughts about that? His own brothers, uh, we know from the Gospel of John, didn't believe him. And then in the resurrection appearances, one of the resurrections is, appearances is James. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's crossed my mind. Hopefully Mary didn't say to the other ones repeatedly, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a good thing for all of us. But from a sibling point of view, you know, what would it have been like? Can you imagine if Mary made the first "What would Jesus do?" bracelet and gave it? To her? Oh, oh! That wouldn't have been the best family dynamic move. Well, well, what we have here are these people. The questions that they ask in verses two and three: Where did he get it? Where did this wisdom come from? How is he doing this? Isn't this? And they start describing Jesus. So they're listing qualities about Jesus that they don't know where they come from. And then they list and describe the Jesus that they know. And because the things they're seeing don't match the things they know, they shut down. And they are unwilling to, to learn something new. They're unwilling to change their, their mind or their opinion about something that they already know. 
I think the point is, if I had, if I change my mind about Jesus to include these new things, then more than just the details of Jesus needs to change, details about me uh, are affected by that. And this is the 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 the, the smallest, most uh, picturesque uh, way of looking at. I have a box, and I've checked it off about this person or this idea, and I am unable to change that because so much of me is going to have to change too. And I think that's why they won't listen. I, I had a, a young lady one time, atheist, who as we studied, and then she didn't want to study anymore. Or no, she just started. At first, she didn't want to study anymore. And Curtis, she agreed to. And since she kept being obstinate, and finally she goes, I'll be honest. I said, sure. I don't want to believe because if I do, I would have to change. And it's kind of ironic, kind of like when Jesus compared him and John the Baptist, you know, with kids, you know, playing different games. No matter what we do, you don't like it. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, one of the objections was, we don't know when this man is. Another, Ask <laughs> another time, the objection is, well, we know whence he is. And the Messiah, no man knows whence he is. Yeah. I, I don't know this is the application to make from this, but it's helped me some. Um, I think a lot of us have grown up with Jesus in the sense that, you know, we were told these stories. We, we, we read our Bibles growing up. Maybe we went to uh, worship services and, um, you know, we, we, were, we were brought up with this, you know, kind of in a hometown sort of way. And then maybe as we've gotten older, we've been challenged uh, more pointedly by some of the things that Jesus has said and done. And we begin to realize that maybe what we thought of Jesus before wasn't what, and it's not like he's changed. It's just suddenly we've, we've learned to see him the way that he really is. Uh, and we've got some options. You know, one is to do what the people in Nazareth do, which is to disbelieve, which by the way, Jesus marvels at. You want to do something that really amazes Jesus? Disbelieve him. He, he thinks that's just crazy. Um, but the other option is to adjust, you know, for, for us to move in his direction and let him tell us who he is uh, and, and start really following Jesus, not just following the idea of Jesus that we had in our heads. I think there are a lot of religious people, and I hope that that we would be sure that we're not one of those, but a lot of religious people who are just following an idea of Jesus, but not really following who Jesus has declared himself to yeah. be. And that's what this town is left with, is they've, they've got to figure out who this man is, where he comes from, where he gets his power, and then keep in step with him. Mm -hmm. Dan? Mm -hmm. Well, just, he, we've, we've had a series of miracles where Jesus uh, just turns the world upside down and stops it. He stops the storm and calms down what shouldn't be calmable. <laughs> he stops the, the demons inside the man and casts them out. He uh, is able to heal a woman who just touches her, uh, touches his cloak when she's gone to every doctor and blown all her money on it and hasn't been uh, received any help. And she's, he's able to heal somebody who's already died of the disease. And so he, he heals this person of death as well as whatever disease she was fighting with. So he's, he's overturned the world. He has the power to, to pacify and create um, uh, the beatitude and the blessed life that, that all these people are hungry for. And he gets home and he's going to give that to these people and they will not accept that. And it goes back to a little bit to what you were saying, Scott, that um, people 
are, are more willing or maybe only willing to turn to God when they recognize their own trouble. I included the word recognize. Everyone is in trouble. Yeah. Everyone in the world has shame and guilt. I mean, th those are the universals out there. And maybe I don't know every law that I'm breaking, but I have some shame and I do feel guilty. Jesus comes to town. And if I'm not, I can say it's all about, I don't want to accept him because I, I expect Jesus to be a certain way. I think mostly that's revealing. I don't want to deal with my shame and my guilt. I don't want to address it, letting Jesus take it away from me. And that that's really what, what, is so sad in this because all they need to do is just accept that they're guilty and they, they have something to be ashamed of and jesus takes care of that uh, he takes care of those bad feelings by removing like you said scott he removes that away and that's all we need to do is is, is open ourselves up to that and submit ourselves to christ that he can remove that very helpful discussion thanks guys well i guess we can pick up there next time Yep, looks like we've uh, run out of time. I appreciate everybody who made some comments. Uh, one more comment that we got on Facebook was from Matthew. Just what's beautiful and powerful about these healings is that Jesus did and does something that no other physician can do. I think that that's just a great way to end it. I really appreciate the comments that we received. And uh, I look forward to hearing from all of you guys again. Take care.